You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Discovering Multifamily Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Scandariato with Red Knight Properties. And today we have a special guest here with us, Andy McMullen. And Andy has has been around for a while. He's a managing partner at Legacy Acquisitions, which is focused on partnering with world-class operators. And he has, you know, orchestrated over $750 million of commercial real estate transactions over his 20-year career. He's been on numerous podcasts, um, and numerous publications been featured in, and he's been really focused lately on build-to-rent development. So we're going to talk about what that exactly means, how it is, is different, or is it related to multifamily? What is it? Is it? It's a real buzzword right now, and people are talking about it with not really understanding the context around it. So really excited to happy and happy to have Andy on our show today. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Anthony. I appreciate it, man. It's an honor to be here. Um, yeah, and I know like you, you know, my background is in office and some industrial, and so that kind of background that you've got is, is gives you another kind of layer of understanding when new trends come about. Or um, so we, we started this built to rent idea. Just let me first explain it. Just think of it as horizontal multifamily. So or multifamily pulled apart. That's the way that we manage it, it's the way that we think about it. So we build in this case, 98 single family, 1200 unit places, cottages, really, they're little tanks, really. And we build them with about 20 feet of backyard. And then we enclose them. And we have the same kind of amenities that a multifamily project would have, you know, playground, you know, pool in some cases, clubhouse in some cases, uh, walking trails. So that's kind of how we, we like to think of it. Now, there's a couple of differences between multifamily, right? You can build one at a time and then get your CFO and collect rent on it. So there's a little bit more kind of flexibility there. Um, there's a little bit more flexibility in selling them as well because we could sell them as one complex or we could chunk it down, cluster them into groups of 10 and sell them. Probably would not sell them one by one because I think it's a totally different business. So that's a little bit about what it is. So how is it different than just building multifamily or, or like it, what are the key differences? Because to me, yeah. it sounds somewhat almost identical. It, it really is. And that's why I, I try to tell people like, you know, I'm, I come from a multifamily background. And so, you know, people are they, you, they hear single family rental and they're thinking like of scattered houses, you know, in multiple counties and trying to figure out how do you manage the properties that way when you're driving around. And so there's a lot of inefficiencies, but if you think about it now, the suburbanization has been going on for the last couple of years, even before COVID. And so now people like the idea of having maybe a little bit more space, nobody on top of them, nobody below them, nobody on the sides of them. And then they have their own doggy door and backyard. So there really isn't a whole lot of difference. We still love the multifamily asset class. We still invest in it. We still own, we're still, we're still involved, but this I think is a little bit different now because there's so much demand for this kind of product, right? We don't have the supply that we, we should. And as a result, a lot of the kind of larger institutional owners will let smaller guys like us develop, you know, these, these properties that these enclosed communities, 
And then they can go basically make their yield for their investors by, you know, efficient growth and efficient kind of expenses. So that's kind of, that's kind of why it's become much more popular now. It's become over the last year and a half. I still think we're in the very early innings, but because it does have that stickiness of tenant, people like it because of millennials, they like newer stuff. You know, their American dream isn't the same as yours and I as well. Uh, you're much younger than me. So you're a millennial. What, what, what I'm talking about. But, uh, but so, so that's why it's become such a kind of popular, uh, uh, you know, asset. One, you're getting millennials with, with some money and you're getting, you know, empty nesters and they all want new stuff. And if we're doing it right, the only thing they have to do to, to, to manage their property is just turn the light bulb on. Got it. So in terms of, you know, the key differences, so you're really building and then your, your strategy is to just rent them and sell them to the institutions. Yeah, I think, I think for, it depends, but I think this, this one that we've got currently now is in Lafayette, Louisiana. The idea there is we had a little bit of an unfair advantage because we already owned the land. We already had kind of a lot of, we had six of them already built. And so as a result, we feel like we can build them relatively quickly eight to 10 a month. And then if we stabilize where we think we should, and we've already kind of beat targets for rents because, you know, no genius on our end, just rents have been climbing, right? Um, that it probably makes a little more sense to get our investors money back once we stabilize it. Now, if that's not the case, we could certainly refinance out, get them a chunk of cash and then just hold them long-term. We've got both of those strategies available to us. Right. It's a good, good position to be in. So let's talk about it. Louisiana, pretty affordable market, I would say. And, yeah, we, you know, we're talking about development costs. Obviously, you didn't have to buy a land. You're already sitting on it. So I'm sure that helped your numbers out. Um, how do you evaluate new land developments for the build to rent multifamily? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, yeah. So we've got two, we've got three other sites. Um, and really what I think that the, the key is for us is they've got to be in the Southeast where land is a little bit less expensive, right? And then, then, the, then the impact fees are a little bit less. So sewer, water, those kinds of things, the infrastructure costs are a little bit less. And then we've got to find them near really kind of good uh, neighborhood elementary schools. We want to have, because usually young families is kind of most of what our renter or resident as we call it is. Uh, and then it's got to have obviously, you know, amenities and be close to a major thoroughfare, right? So some built to rent communities are doing it in the suburbs and even the exurbs. We're trying to stay kind of in that, in that middle area close enough to, you know, the Walmarts and the, you know, suburbia, right? Um, but so, so yeah, Lafayette, Louisiana, we were able to get the land is a little bit less expensive. And also, I think you don't have the same kind of union issues that you do. I'm in California. And it seems like everywhere I, everywhere I turn, they're trying to tax us on something. Um, and, uh, and so, so we, we really want to kind of be in those development friendly areas and a lot of them happen to be in the Southeast. Yeah. Um, so when we're talking about, you know, building and, and renting um, and obviously acquiring land that goes along with it, you, you know, your target markets are, are spot on, but Obviously, some areas in the southeast, you know, pretty much across the country, even land is getting more pricey. And obviously, the construction costs are getting more pricey. And, you know, inflation is is not transitory from what we're seeing. And 
Um, you know, I, I think inflation, the real inflation number is probably going to be over 10% uh, for 2021. I mean, they're, they're going to say it's five and a half, but, um, you know. That, and, by the way, I can see you just grinning, like, you know, owning real estate and watching inflation go up 10% is just like, you know, an, an owner's dream, right? And with all the buildings that you have, I think sometimes we, we get caught up in that. Well, if interest rates go up, you know, then cap rates start to go up a little bit. Um, but when you're in this kind of inflationary time with real estate and you've got NOI, that's basically you're passing down to your residents um, that you're basically collecting all of that NOI for all that entire inflationary period. Right. And so even if inflation moderates down a little bit, um, it's not, there's not a whole lot of difference, right. In the amount of NOI that you created, which is really the value stream. And over the last, since the forties, right. I think people are accustomed to rising rents, at least incrementally. And usually when inflation comes back down, it doesn't moderate back down like inflation would be rents continue to increase. So um, for, for people that are, you know, just on the sidelines about real estate, you know, in an inflationary time, it's a great place to have your money, right? And if you're, if you've got that equity kind of sitting in your house, you know, at five to 10%, if you're right, Anthony is just being sucked out of it. So get that on the lender side, let them deal with it, you know? Right, right. Um, so but what I was getting at, Andy, is if we're in an inflationary environment on the building side for the next year at, at a minimum 2022, um, I, are your construction costs, you know, your soft costs, hard costs, land costs, are your yields still making sense, you know, yeah. and are you able to get the rents you were originally projecting? Um, so, yeah. Or like you said, you kind of, you know, the bad thing about inflation is it, it does hurt everybody. Um, and you have to pass it on to your consumer and your consumer is your, are your tenants. Um, you know, I see more people getting into the, the value add space, which is what we're in buying existing and renovating and getting the rents up, um, at least in this inflationary period. But I see, I see less development, um, yeah. even though we have an affordability problem and a supply problem. So I guess, do you anticipate your strategy being longer term because of the supply problem? Or are you? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, yeah. there's so many kind of elements to it. You know, um, we, in order for us to do this, when we started building underwriting this project, you know, uh, that thousand foot per board, which basically kind of measurement for lumber, was in the 1500s or 1600s, right? So we were underwriting for, you know, let's have a 15% contingency, which for your listeners is, is typically much more than most people will have. Um, luckily, it fell down. It's in that five to 600 range. Um, but yeah, we had to have a lot of kind of risk mitigants. You mentioned rent. So when we started, you know, underwriting, our rents were at like 15. Now they're at like 1650. So that's helped us a little bit. Um, but we've got to have, you know, a cap rate that's, you know, 100 basis points above where market is. We want to make sure that we've got, you know, expense ratio, even though they're typically less than multifamily, they typically run in that kind of 32% range because it's newer stuff. We wanted to make sure we were in that kind of 35 to 38. So to answer your question, kind of a uh, big picture wise, yeah, absolutely. You know, you've, you've got consider labor costs, right? And you got to consider, you know, um, what's your cost preferred construction now and supplies. And I'm here in California and we can't figure out the, the port issue, right? We've got just 500,000, you know, containers just floating around, right? So there's a lot of 
risks. And that's why we want to make sure we have those, those mitigants, which again comes back to, can we build for, you know, in our case, $130,000 door all in, in some markets, if we can get rents that are 18 or 2000 or 22, then we can, we can, you know, inch up more than that. But uh, I, I still see us being able to, in the built to rent space, because of what you mentioned with supply, I think rents will continue to rise. Um, and I think that they will outpass that extra added cost of, of you know, inflationary um, construction costs and supply chain issues. Um, yeah. but there's a lot of places you can't build, right? There's like, as you said, it's just the land's too expensive and it doesn't make sense even with our major, major supply uh, issues. Yeah, and, and, and hopefully that, you know, that, keeps up and you are able to build, you know, relatively affordably and, and obviously still be profitable because as the inflation goes on, it, it you know, it does get a little bit more challenging. Um, is, is that the only strategy that you're really working on right now, the build to rent? Obviously, build to it's rent. more long-term, you know, two to three-year yeah. process to get it up and running anyway. No, I, I still I still really like multifamily. I mean, we're, you know, we've got a fund and we invest in um, multifamily projects really across the country. Uh, you know, I was, we were doing sponsor deals in California up to a few years ago and it just became, you know, too unpredictable to get our investors the returns that they, you know, because of rent control and cash for keys and the rest. So for now, it's really about us trying to partner up with just world-class operators that are, you know, good at what they're doing, but, but great in the community as well. I mean, that's like a big piece for us. So, um, you know, really along the, the summer, we bought something in North Carolina, uh, Texas, um, working on something right now, another one in Austin. So we still like multifamily and we still, we still know that it's got, uh, because of the supply issues and because of inflation, um, I think that there is probably a little bit of uneven, you know, between cap rate really for some heavy value add stuff. But I think that because we're benefiting from all the other ways you can make money in real estate for the investors with depreciation and, you know, where appreciation is, et cetera, you know, a hedge against inflation. I think that there's still tons and tons of opportunity for multifamily. Any other asset class? Uh, no, I mean, we've, we've looked a little bit at storage. I think, uh, I think storage is, is something that I've, I've invested in. Um, we as a group, as legacy have, have not yet. Um, so I, I think that there's always opportunity there. Um, I think mobile home communities because of the, the scarcity there, I think there's, there's, you know, great opportunities there. I, you know, our background, I think was an office and I'm not, I'm not as, I'm not as keen on, on that. Although I do think there's people that are doing it well, retail and triple net. Um, but I think we try to fit in those, we try to fit in those holes where we, where we feel like we've got the most kind of economies of scale and our guys know how to underwrite it and our guys know how to vet the operator and we don't have to start learning a whole new asset class. Yeah. And you've been through previous cycles before. So how is this cycle different on the supply side? Do we have a supply yeah, issue? Right. Last? You know, we haven't really been building for like, I mean, it's honestly been 12 years. I, I don't know where you were in 2008, we were developing a project in the Venice area. Um, and yeah, as you know, just shut down, right? Completely, banks just shut down. They weren't lending anything. So we were able to kind of hang on by just bridge lender after bridge lender and trying to get our renters in, you know, 
Um, but you know, remember for like 2009, nothing, 10, nothing, 11, nothing really wasn't until like 12 started to come back where you really felt like maybe there's some opportunity here. And even if you listen to even some, my friends way smarter than me, you know, um, way smarter than I see, that's what I should have said, way smarter than I, uh, were, you know, stopped investing in 2017. Right. And so for three, four years, they've been, they've been wrong. Um, you know, so I think that at this point now there's just so much kind of inflation that we're seeing in the properties that we own in California. It would be really hard for me to see a, a collapse because of the supply. And the government's basically said we're going to let it run. Um, and if they, you know, prop up interest rates a little bit, that's 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 fine. I think that would maybe moderate some things. Um, but I don't think, you know, I'm, I'm here in California. We haven't figured out a way to kind of help you know, with, with, with supply, um, and even developing it, it's hard. So in, in many counties it is. So I don't know. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I mean, do you feel that we're, uh, we need to kind of tighten down the hatches, batten down the hatches, or we, we've got a longer runway. Um, yeah, make a long story short. I, I think we got a, a longer runway I'm curious to see what the effects of kind of so, you know, states that you're in, like California and New York, kind of lingering eviction moratoriums once those are because they they are enacted at the state level. I think California just expired. Um, New York is still in place in New Jersey to the end of the year. Um, once those expire, it'd be interesting to see, at least in the larger metropolitan areas. I think Chicago still has this in place. Um, what that has on, you know, effect on supply. I, I, I heard from some home builders that, you know, there's going to be more supply on the residential side and on the single family side than what they thought, you know, cause you know, people are going back to the cities and, you know, so I, there's many different opinions, but on the whole, I think you, you're, you're right. in in terms of, um, on both the existing multifamily side and on, on the build to rent side in certain areas where there are popular, you know, where there is population growth and um, a lot of other things, you know, good, um, economic indicators going for those states um, to build um, and also invest in. So it's it's real estate is hyper local. So um, you know that's that's all I would have to say about it. Um, Andy, as we wind down the show, how can my audience you know find you, learn more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, legacyacquisitions.com. We've got uh, quite a few resources for either passive investors or partners that that want to learn a little bit more about what we do. Um, I'm all over LinkedIn, as, as I know you are, Anthony, so uh, reach out. I would love to help. I love to help newer investors or newer um, entrepreneurs, so please, please do so. Excellent. It was great to have you, Andy. It was a pleasure and an honor. And if you liked what you heard and or saw today, please give us a rating and review on iTunes so Andy and myself can get our message out to a greater audience. That's just the way it works. So we appreciate that and look forward to talking to you again soon, Andy. Yeah, thank you, Anthony. Me as well. Thank you.